Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have given us each other. Lord, we cannot be by ourselves. Lord, this world is not meant for man to be alone, either without his, his spouse or the other of his life. And we are not singular, Lord, without our partners in ministry either. So we pray that you will give us the humility and give us the wisdom to partnership as you have chosen us to. And then, Lord, pour out your blessing on that partnership. I want to ask your watch care over these words today and this time we have. In your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Mark Finley, please share with us a little bit as we start. When you look at the New Testament, one of the great gospel medical missionary teams was the Apostle Paul and Luke. Let me give you a little background that you may not be fully aware of. As the Apostle Paul came across Asia Minor and came up into the area we now know as Turkey, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit forbade him to go up into Mysia. The Holy Spirit forbade him to go into Central Asia Minor. And Paul must have been totally confused. He wondered what God was going to lead him to do. He came to Troas, and it was there that the Lord had a special call for him, a call from Macedonia in Greece to come over and help us. And Paul sailed to Macedonia, came to what we now know as Neapolis or Kavala in biblical times, and there the Apostle Paul put his eyes on Philippi. Philippi was a city at that time, probably a 30 or 40,000. It was a very wealthy city. It was at the end of the Roman Empire, at the end of the Ignatian Way. And the Apostle Paul began to work there. The Bible says in the book of Acts uh, 16, 17, that he surveyed the situation, as any good medical missionary does. And as he surveyed that situation, he discovered some interesting things. First, that there was a woman and a group there was a little Sabbath-keeping group out by a small stream. He went out on Sabbath and led her to Jesus and baptized a group there and would eventually start a church in her home. In addition to that, he was on his way through the city, and uh, there was a demon-possessed girl that was giving him advertising that he didn't need. And she was walking through the city screaming out, "'These men are of the Most High God! These men are of the Most High God!' Uh, there's some advertising that you don't want, some advertising you don't need. And this demon-possessed woman certainly was shouting, screaming. And Paul eventually delivered her, and she was converted. He was put in prison, but in prison he was praising God. And when you praise God in difficulty, that releases the opportunity for God to work a miracle. And uh, the Philippian jailer was baptized. Here are the first three converts in Philippi, a very wealthy woman by the name of Lydia, a very poor slave girl, and a middle-class Roman from the prison. The gospel reaches all humanity. But because of Paul's preaching, there was a conflict there, and Paul had to leave almost immediately. What you may not be aware of is that Luke, Dr. Luke, was part of his medical missionary team. And when Paul left Philippi, Luke stayed. And through Luke's medical missionary work and the mentorship that Paul had given Luke, Luke watched Paul preach. Luke was there when Paul gave a Bible study to Lydia. Luke observed what was happening. And Luke spent time in that city, mentored by the Apostle Paul as a godly Christian physician, and built the work of God in Philippi based on a medical missionary model. Now, you can read this story in the book Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White. It's an amazing story how Paul and Luke worked together as a gospel medical missionary team. We find that embedded there in Scripture. As time went on throughout the centuries, God often used medical missionaries to work together. Let's forward, fast forward, uh, over a thousand years from the time of Paul up until the... Uh, 13, 1400s to the time of the Waldensians. You may or may not be aware of that the Waldensians taught their children math. They taught them science. They taught them the Bible. But they also taught them simple remedies. And the Waldensians 
uh, youth were well equipped in knowing how to treat disease. They were true gospel medical missionaries and made an impact, dramatic impact. When God raised up the Seventh-day Adventist church, he raised up the Adventist church to proclaim the fullness of the message of Christ. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38 says that Jesus went through the cities and villages preaching the gospel, teaching, and healing. Um, Seventh-day Adventists were brought up on this model. It was a model, uh, eventually, of health ministry to the masses. And it was a model of physical, mental, spiritual healing. Although Adventists in the 1860s developed an understanding of Adventist health message, and that continued to develop through the 1860s onto the 1870s and so forth, it wasn't until 1910, February 28, 1910, that Ellen White focused her attention. She was getting older now, and uh, she was uh, five years actually from uh, the time that she would die, and she was much older now. And uh, she focused her attention on working the cities. And one night, God gave her a dream. She wrote that dream out, uh, February 27, 1910. And she wrote a letter to conference presidents. Eventually, initially, it was a, uh, a, con a um, confidential letter. But then it was, of course, published after that. And in her letter to these conference presidents, she said, I saw that there should be, and I'm quoting her now, a decided change in past methods of working a decided change. And then she said there should be teams of workers that were working the cities. And she describes those teams, the coal porters and, and uh, literature evangelists and nurses and doctors and, and pastors, young people working together to approach the cities. So the vision that God gave to Ellen White on the distinct change, and you have to understand the context of this vision. The context of that vision was that in America at that time, there was a strong evangelistic movement among non-Adventist evangelicals, and they would come into a city and hold meetings for three days, four days, preach on Christ and invite people to come forward. Ellen White said Seventh-day Adventists had a different mission, that we had a holistic mission, physical, mental, spiritual mission, that we would together uh, look at the holistic approach to life, and it would be life transformational that Seventh-day Adventist evangelism should make an impact on communities that would, that would change the quality of life in that community and change the spiritual direction of the community. Um, at that particular time, after that vision, February 27, 1910, uh, there was a, a student at Loma Linda University. At the time, it was actually the College of Medical Evangelists. His name was John Tyndall. And I will tell you about my relationship with Tyndall, but I need to give you a little bit of history of Tyndall before I do that. I had the joy, my wife and I had the joy of spending many, many hours with Elder John Tyndall before his death. Um, when we were at Wildwood Medical Missionary Institute, we became good friends. We talked together about his life and his ministry. He was in his 80s at the time, and I was young in my late 20s. And talk about mentorship. He had a tremendous influence on my life. But let me tell you a little bit about what happened. John Tyndall had gone to Loma Linda to take the medical evangelism course after he was converted. He had a law background. His mind was sharp. And uh, he was out one day assessing in the gold fields of California because there was the gold rush. And Tyndall was an unbeliever. He was an atheist background. I wouldn't say direct atheist, but he's certainly not a believer at all, more of an agnostic than an atheist. And as Tyndall was there he um, heard a minor, because in those days you didn't have television, we're not 1910, we're not in the 40s or 50s yet. So Tyndall heard one of these minors reading a copy of Desire of Ages out loud. Often in those days, at night, they would sit around the campfire and they would read. So this minor was reading in a cabin, and um, Tyndall heard him reading Desire of Ages out loud, and when he heard him reading the section on Calvary, he wandered out among the sagebrush and knelt down and gave his heart to the Lord, Elder Tyndall did. And, and, and the, 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 the desire of ages section on Calvary just broke his heart, changed his life. So he decided to go to uh, Loma Linda to take the medical evangelism course. It was that at that time that Ellen White had the vision. And so eventually... Roderick Owen, who was a Bible teacher at Loma Linda, and Elder Burden, who was the business manager, came to John Tyndall. And they said, Ellen White has had this vision. We need a student 
of your caliber, you're a little older, to develop a gospel medical missionary team and go out here in California and demonstrate the vision. So John Tyndall was the one that was to demonstrate that vision. He went to San Bernardino. At that time, his wife was not a Seventh-day Adventist. And they would hold meetings for about six months. And uh, Tyndall's strategy in those days was this. He would have usually a gospel meeting on a Sunday night. He'd preach on a doctrine. On a Tuesday night, he'd have a Bible class. And on a Thursday night or another night of the week, he'd have a health class. And so usually three nights a week, they would have meetings. And they would do this for six months. And Elder Tyndall would go to the police department and lecture. He would go to the fire department and lecture. He'd lecture often on nutrition and delinquency. It was one of his favorite lectures that he would give, nutrition and delinquency. He'd talk about vitamin B and thiamine in the diet and how that stabilized the nervous system and so forth. Um, I'll tell you about some of his evangelistic meetings. He went to um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City. Billy Graham, uh, Billy Sunday was in Tulsa. And the headlines of the paper said this. Sunday, Mr. They talked about Mr. Sunday and Mr. Saturday. Billy Sunday, Mr. Sunday, and Tyndall was Mr. Saturday. And they said, Sunday gets the crowds, but Tyndall gets the converts. Tyndall. John Tyndall, Seventh Adventist pastor, baptized 77 people, seven at a time. And so he would use these gospel medical missionary meetings all across America. Dallas, Texas, we had very little work at the time. John Tyndall came, and they were doing a cooking school. And the night before the cooking school, John Tyndall went to sleep, and he had a dream. And in that dream, he was fishing. And in his dream, he caught a big fish, and his line was bent way over, and he's reeling in this big fish. Well... The next night, he goes to the cooking school, and a meat packer walks in 300 pounds. And John Tyndall says in his mind, that's the big fish. That is the big fish. God's going to give us that man. And eventually, that meat packer came. His prejudice was broken down. He was baptized, lost weight, and donated $10,000 in those days to build a new church in, the, in Dallas. Uh, the elder Tyndall baptized about 108, 110 in Dallas at that time. Um, one of his more remarkable meetings was in Indianapolis, Indiana. He was there for six months to a year. He had his school of evangelism there. He had coal porters, nurses. Uh, they would train the church. The genius of Elder Tyndall's methods were, they were following the spirit of prophecy, he would train church members to go out with his coal porters to coal porter. There would be physicians that worked with him. There would be nurses that worked with him. They would motivate and train the church. Elder Tyndall would preach. One night he was preaching, it was in a tent actually in Indianapolis, and he looked out and he saw in the back row a well-dressed man that came in, had no idea who he was. The guy would come in just before Elder Tyndall preached and he would leave right after the sermon. He would never stay around for music. So Elder Tyndall began to inquire, who, who is that man? And he learned the man's name and um, he got acquainted with the man. And the man said, my name is so-and-so, and I'm not telling you the name purposely. Um, you'll see why at the end of the story. So he said, I, Elder Tyndall began to talk to the man, and the man said, look, I am one of the deacons in the largest church in Indianapolis, and you really, Pastor Tyndall, need to come and preach in my church. What kind of denomination is it? It's a Baptist church, but I know my preacher would love to have you. At this point, Elder Tyndall had not preached on the Sabbath yet. And so I find that in my evangelistic meetings, they come early and they tell me how much they love me, and then I preach on the Sabbath and they throw rotten tomatoes. No, I'm teasing you. <laughs> but uh, so Elder Tyndall said, I will only come to your church if your pastor gives me an invitation. The man said, well, come to my office and my pastor will be there and he'll give you the invitation. So Elder Tyndall walked into the, this man's office and uh, the uh, pastor was there and Elder Tyndall and he began talking, and the pastor said, you're a Seventh-day Adventist, aren't you? Elder Tyndall said, yes, I, I'm an Adventist. Well, I don't believe I'm under the old law. And he said, you folk are legalists, I'm not under the old law. And he just went on and on and on and embarrassed himself, so vitriolic against Tyndall. Now remember, Tyndall was a lawyer, and he just smiled at the end of the conversation. And he said, may I read you a Bible text, and I'll tell you why you're not under the old law. Romans 8, verse 7, the carnal heart is enmity against God. <laughs> I mean, and neither subject to the law of God, neither can it be. And so the past, you know, the carnal heart is enmity against the law of God. You see, that's why I don't think you're under the old law. And uh, Tindal, Tindal, uh, uh, this man, the businessman, apologized for the actions of his pastor. He began attending church on Sabbath. 
And Elder Tyndall made an appeal to him to keep the Sabbath. And this man said to Elder Tyndall, they were standing outside this man's furniture factory, and trains were coming in with all to pick up the furniture. And they were sending out this furniture all over America. And this man looked at Elder Tyndall and he said, I could never keep the Sabbath. Impossible to keep the Sabbath. Because if I ever kept it, I'd have to shut down my factory. And I have trains coming every day. Now remember, Tyndall's a lawyer. He looks at the man and he said to him, I just have one question. What's more important, your money or your soul? When you figure that out, I'll come back and visit you again. And he started walking across the parking lot. And Elder Tyndall told me, he said, this man looked at him and he said, Pastor, my soul is more important. Come back. This individual was eventually baptized. Have any of you ever gone to Southern Adventist University? Southern Adventist. What is the name of the men's dormitory at Southern Adventist University? Talj Hall. Talj was the man in Indianapolis. Elder Tyndall baptized Talj at a medical missionary meeting, and Talj donated scores amount of money to the Southern Adventist University to build the men's dormitory. One day, Elder, descri Elder Tyndall described the medical missionary work of Jesus, and he described how incredible that medical missionary work of Jesus was. Sitting in the audience was Talj and his wife. Talj's wife had diamond earrings on and a diamond necklace on. Now, you talk about funding God's work. When you present to people the ministry of Jesus Christ, God impresses people's hearts to fund it. I can tell you that from personal experience. We just built a $4.5 million health evangelistic training center, and we've paid off everything except about 100000 We have most of the money to pay that. We have no mortgage, no debt. No debt. When you do God's work, God's way, God takes care of the finances of it. So here, sitting in that audience, was Mrs. Tauj. And when Elder Tyndall described the medical missionary work of Jesus, Mrs. Tauj took off her diamond earrings, her diamond necklace, dropped them in the offering plate, dropped them in the offering plate, and that's how they financed a medical missionary clinic on the side of the church. They had a medical missionary clinic on the side of the church in Indianapolis years and years ago. They did health treatments there. They had a physician's office there. Why do I tell you this story? This story has to do with mentoring, mentoring. This class is called mentoring. I thank God for the people that mentored me early in my life. Early in my ministry, I worked with Pastor O.J. Mills in Hartford, Connecticut. Pastor Mills was a great medical evangelist. He, they had many five-day plans to stop smoking, many cooking schools. I knew little or nothing about health during those years, but I jumped into the water. I remember talking with J. Wayne McFarlane. Anybody know that name, J. Wayne McFarlane? Uh, he was the founder of the five-day plan to stop smoking with Elman Falkenberg. And I talked to uh, Dr. McFarlane. I said, Doctor, I took theology. I didn't take any health courses. I, don't, I, I would be embarrassed to lecture on health. He said, Mark, hide behind the experts. Never make a wild statement. Just quote the experts and you'll be okay. I jumped into health programs before I knew what I was doing. And I will never forget the night that I was in Warehouse Point, uh, Connecticut. And we had 150 people in our five-day plan to stop smoking. And I was shaking and more nervous than anybody withdrawing from tobacco because that was my first night that I was to lecture on my own in a five-day plan to stop smoking. I had no physician with me, and so I had to play Dr. McFarland's film. And Dr. McFarland would have the film, then he would introduce Elman Falkenberg, and Falkenberg would give the lecture on the minister's part. So I said to the projectionist, when Wayne McFarland is through, turn off the projector, because I'll walk on the stage and say, that's what the doctor said, and then I'll move into Elman Falkenberg's presentation. I've memorized every line of it. I can know I could give, give it. The projectionist forgot to turn the projector off, and to my horror, I was standing behind the stage, and now Elder Falkenberg comes on and begins giving my lecture for the next five or ten minutes. We got through that crisis nicely. I knew very little. The first stress management series I ever held was in... Boston, Massachusetts. 
And I thought three or four people would come. We had a beautiful brochure. I had never held a stress management seminar, and I knew very little about the anatomy and physiology about stress. But I studied about it because I'll tell you why. When you advertise you're going to hold stress management for business executives, that motivates you to study. You jump into the water, and God teaches you how to swim. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for most people. But I printed a brochure. I came to Boston to the Holiday Inn. I saw 25 people, 30 people, 40 people with their attache cases and their briefcases. Business people. I said, where are these people going? We're going to hear Mark Finley lecture on stress. Man, I was stressed out, I will tell you. <laughs> Through the years, I've had wonderful mentors. Elder Mills mentored me as a pastor how to be actively involved in medical evangelism. Wayne McFarlane encouraged me as a physician not only to give lectures on anatomy and phys on, on spiritual things, but give lectures on anatomy and physiology. And we, my wife and I began holding nutrition classes, and she has held 250 cooking schools and served over 20,000 people at our cooking schools now and prepared 300,000 to 400,000 food samples. Um, we're right in now. Monday nights I teach a Bible class now, so I fly all over the world, but I always come back to our center on Monday night to teach a Bible class. We don't have a lot of people, 70 people in our Bible class, 25 of them are not Adventist. Tuesday nights, Teeny does a cooking school and we do a health class. We've done imagine, something we call Imagine a Healthy 100. And uh, we began to develop Imagine a Healthy 100. We didn't know what it was, but we just did it. You sometimes you just jump in, you do it, you study, you get your advertising out, you, you do the best you can, and God blesses it in ways you can't understand. Um, I would rather do something than have five committees tell me what I'm doing is, won't work. You know, you can have every committee to solve a problem and accomplishes very little. I'm not so much for committees, I'm for getting stuff done. I want to do some. I had a friend of mine, he said, I'm interested in relevance. I said, I'm interested in effectiveness. And uh, so you can talk about relevance, but I'm going to talk about effectiveness. What reaches people's hearts? How has it changed their life? We're doing a cooking school now. We have how many in our cooking school now, Tina? A hundred and some odd? You served 108. She does about eight food samples a night, so that means 800 food samples that night. About 40, 50 of those people are not Seventh-day Adventists. Many of them are coming to our Bible class. We don't do great classes this way now, but we've been mentored by wonderful people. We've been mentored by people like O.J. Mills. We've been mentored by J. Wayne McFarlane. Went mentored by people like Elder W.D. Frazee at Wildwood, who really was a great blessing to us. Mentored by Elder Tyndall, and I remember... One of the last meetings that Elder Tyndall attended, I preached his funeral sermon. I have Elder Tyndall's Bible right now, we, and his Bible is so precious to us. You should see that Bible marked in all Spirit of Prophecy statements. I have many of his early journals, his, his, the original copy of his curriculum for the San Francisco Training School in 1920 to 21 and 22. I have all copies of these original documents. I have his stereoptic and glass slides, Elder Tyndall's, that, uh, of his teams and all the description of his teams. And so it's been a great inspiration to me, tremendous inspiration. One of the last meetings that Elder Tyndall ever attended um, Teeny did a cooking demonstration. I did a, uh, Dr. Richard Hansen at the time did a health lecture. I did a Bible lecture, and Elder Tyndall walked up to me, put his arms around my neck, and just wept. And he said, You know, Mark, he said, What I saw tonight is what the prophet told me to do. He said, You're young, go and do it. So we've spent the last 50 years of our lives in gospel, medical, missionary evangelism. We've seen God break down doors that you would not believe. We've seen openings. Uh, we went to Poland. I negotiated with the Polish government on doing health ministry programs. I led a protest march through the streets of Gdańsk against tobacco. I had a big rubber cigarette march through and walked up on some bridge and threw cigarettes into the water. I was younger in those days and a little more bold. And We saw 1,800 people come to our meetings there and uh, Tini did cooking schools. We went to Moscow. We brought a hundred professionals, hundred health professionals, with us to Moscow, and did eighteen thousand blood samples in a period of two weeks, and saw thousands of people, and had I don't know how many people come to our meetings, eighteen thousand or something, and baptized the hundreds and hundreds of people, started seven new churches, all based on medical missionary evangelism. When we went to Hungary, and these are all in the days, of, most of these are in the days of communism. Poland, Hungary, and Yugoslavia were not Russia. But Poland, Hungary, and Yugoslavia were all in the days of communism. In Hungary, the headlines in the paper came out like this. Billy Graham was here for three days, and he preached to us. Mark Finley came with his medical team, 
and uh, it changed our community. They talked about physical health and mental health and spiritual health. The headlines in the Hungarian paper, we, Tini and I just came from China. We were there two weeks ago. The Chinese government gave me a 10-year visa to come and go as I please to China. I don't have to reapply for the visa. The government allowed us to come in to hold meetings. We start at 9 o'clock in the morning. We end 9 o'clock at night. This is three weeks ago. And um, Tini started with a health lecture from 9 to 10. We, they serve plant-based diet. Uh, two a day, 1,200 people we serve at noon and 1,200 in the evening. We serve 18,000 meals in eight days. So Tini gave a health lecture. I would preach in the morning. The people would get fed. They would stay in the afternoon and uh, go through seminars. And at night, they would come back to another evangelistic meeting. They stayed all day. We saw hundreds of people come to Christ. Over 200 were baptized at the end of that series. It's amazing to see what God does through gospel medical missionary evangelism. We thank God for the physicians that we work with. Um, many people say, how do pastors and physicians work together? I mean, is there this division between them? I've never found a barrier in working with any physician at all. I found our Seventh-day Adventist physicians as godly, deeply spiritual people that long to participate in the ministry of Christ. And so that's where our lives are at now. Our lives are absolutely immersed in a center uh, that um, we want to teach the principles of gospel, medical, missionary evangelism. We have classes every other month. There is a major uh, seminar coming up for OCI there on, in November, but we are working now with Southern Adventist University to develop a master's degree program where 27 hours are taught at Southern, nine hours are taught at our facility. We have retreats. We sponsor spiritual retreats there. We've had GYC. We've had Hope Channel. had our spiritual retreats. We study the principles of gospel, medical, missionary evangelism, and we're totally dedicated at what we call our Living Hope Center to the principles that God has given to this church through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And so I want to thank you as physicians for your commitment, your dedication, your desire to make your practice something special for Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Finley. You know, if he needs mentors, what about us? You know, we are all physicians. Every one of us are, are healthcare providers of some kind. We may not have an MD. We may have a DDS. We might be um, somebody that has a, uh, a master's or a PhD, a nurse, whatever it is. We need mentorship like he did. He had Tyndale and, and, and what's a... Oh, and Dr. Frizee and these great people. Yeah, McFarland. What a wonderful opportunity. And, and if he needed it, we don't need it any less. Now, notice he's a pastor, and he was getting mentorship from people that were involved in health. It crossed the line. You don't need to just get somebody who's a physician to mentor you. You look at pastors who will also mentor you. Because you need to know that as as we are workers, we don't have the whole package. The medical ministry is not the gospel. By itself, the medical ministry is devoid of, of, of the gospel. The medical ministry is not a Seventh-day Adventist endeavor. And so we need to have the gospel mentored to us. In addition to that, we need to be mentors. There's a whole nother generation of young people that are younger than us and some of them older than us yet and every person in here can have the opportunity to raise up a new generation of people that need to lead out because you know what one of these days you're going to be dead and gone lest the Lord come first and if that is the case who is going to pick up the banner that the Lord has given us to share the three angels message through the health ministries if you are not around if you have not passed it on to that next generation, you will have nothing to give to this world. But you can leave a legacy if you will definitely set yourself aside to be mentors. Now, what does it take to be a mentor? It means sacrifice and interest in somebody else. It means taking yourself and setting yourself aside a little bit to, to find an interest in somebody that really, they're not worthy, maybe, okay, maybe they don't think they're worthy, but you find worthiness in them. And you take them aside and say, how can I help you? Let me encourage you. And because of your position, the blessing that you have, you can give them strength that they would not have otherwise. 
And you can teach them the gospel medical ministry and how the three angels' message will not just change their habits, but it will change their character for, their, for eternity. That is the end point of the medical ministry work. It is not to change people's habits. It is to change their character for, for eternity. I'm going to talk about really quick a couple of, um, a couple of principles. I'm going to share one or two uh, examples, and then I want to open this up to questions and answers. Pastor Finley, I didn't ask you about this. Could I do some question and answer? Because there might be some people that would like to ask Pastor Finley some questions about mentorship that could be helpful. So think about that. All right, so the first question I want to, I mean, the first principle that I want to share with you is this idea. You know, in developmental psychology, they have this concept of um, parallel play. Are you familiar with that? Young children, when they grow up, as they grow up, they have various stages of their ability to interact and integrate with other people in their community of little children. And so one of the, one of the things that, will tell, uh, that you can tell that uh, the children are growing up is they don't just play separately, but they'll play parallel, which means that if I've got a truck, you've got a truck. And if I'm driving it down the sand, you're driving down. If I'm making a city, you're making a city. We won't play together. We won't work together. In fact, I might even use you as part of my track. But parallel play means that we're doing the same kind of thing separately. That is often the way medical ministry works between pastors and physicians. We will play parallel. But you know what? In in developmental psychology, there's a next step. It's the next higher step of development, and that is cooperative play. That is, I have a truck, and you have a car. I'll trade you, and let's, let's play together. You drive in front for a while, and I'll drive in front for a while. And then let's go and make a little uh, parking structure. And then we'll make a, and that's cooperative play. And both the children are playing together at the same, same time with the same purpose, doing the same thing. Cooperative play. That is, that is a great goal for medical ministry because we can work in cooperative play with our pastoral, uh, our pastoral counterparts. We can work in, in parallel play, you know, if we need to, and sometimes we have to. There's no other way to do that. People don't get the idea sometimes that we're not supposed to just be parallel, but we're cooperative. And so I want you to have that concept that you work together and that you... you you make yourself available to your pastoral counterpart. Now, how does this look? What it looks like is this. Um, you go to a church, and you're going to do some program with your pastor. And the pastor says, all right, what do you want to do? And you say, well, um, you're the pastor. What would you like to do? Do you want to shock them? Want their jaw to drop? Uh... uh because now, as healthcare providers, you're giving them the opportunity to lead. And it's, it's a wonderful thing when the leader leads. You know, it's a wonderful thing when, when, the, when the pastor who's in charge of the souls of these people, just like you are, but their, their job is to, to do that first and foremost. They don't have the benefit, maybe, of the medical ministry, but you can fix that because you can give them education, taking them under your shoulder, under your arm, and teach them the medical ministry that they can participate in, both in natural remedies and maybe some scientific lectures, that they can do, that you can teach them. Do you know what value that would make for you in their lives? You would be valuable in their lives if you would simply teach them how to minister in, ministry, in, in medical ministry. So parallel versus cooperative play. Think about it when you interact with your pastoral counterparts. The next principle I wanted to share with you was this. Sometimes we think that we can just punch the same clock. As long as we're still just working in the same building, then we're doing the, 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 the medical ministry. But my experience is this. If you really want medical ministry to take off, you need to be social with your counterparts in ministry. You need to be happy just to, to be there together, to share a meal, to demonstrate a personal interest, to show that you care about the individual. And when they're having needs to be met that you can meet, you need to meet those needs because you are friends. Because friendship is the strength where medical ministry picks up. It's when things start to happen that are really wild. 
There's a scriptural example of this. You'll see it in David. David said to his mighty men one day wistfully, Oh, that I might have some water from the wells of Bethlehem. That's all he did. He just said, Oh, that I might have some water from the wells of Bethlehem. And his mighty men risked their lives to break through the enemy's uh, uh, lines to go grab some of that water and get it back. And when they got it back and they showed it to David, David in wisdom realized that was too holy for him to drink. These men took their very lives and put it at stake. That They did it for their love for him because they had connected with him. But he poured that water out realizing the only one worthy of that was Jesus, was God. You see, this is what happens when you have friendships in medical ministry. So here's an example with Pastor Doug Venn. Pastor Venn was one of my mentors, and we mentored each other back and forth. And Pastor Venn was uh, in his home one night, and I was sitting on his uh, home, and he's playing with his guitar, and his wife's talking to my wife, and his kids are playing with my kids. And he says, John, I just so wish. I so wish that I could get into the, the uh, fraternities and the sororities here at the university, if I could only do that. I said, you want to do that? No problem. He says, what, what, what do you have in mind? I said, call me on Monday. So Monday morning, I get on the phone with some of the, some of the fraternities, and I call them up, and I said, hey, would you guys like an HIV lecture from a, from a local physician? Oh, HIV? Yeah, and I'll do STDs too. Are you serious? Yeah. What's it cost? It's free. I do it for a free service to the community. Man, we'll take it now. Great. I will send my audiovisual guy, Pastor Doug Venn, over to your place. He'll be there about a half an hour early and set up for me. Pastor Vin shows up at their place. I've got this picture that they show up there. A little provocative. Bunch of guys, hard drinking, hard living guys. They're walking by. They look, whoa, what's this about? Pastor Vin's saying, well, we're going to have a lecture about STDs and HIV. Pretty soon the room is full. And he's hanging out with the guys. And so then I go give a hard-hitting lecture on STDs and HIV. And these guys with eyes like plates go like, What? And when I finish, we do this question and answer section. And after the question and answer section, you know, uh, somebody kind of finally comes up with this question on relationships. Relationships. Like, you know what? I'm glad you asked that question. I just happen to have somebody trained specially in relationships. Pastor Doug Venn, my audiovisual guy here. And Pastor Doug Venn, would you come up and talk about relationships now? And Pastor Doug Venn gets up and begins to tell these guys about relationships and draws in his pastoral background as he does, as he speaks to these guys for the first time that they listen to him very, very carefully as he's sharing with them about the love of Jesus in principle, though he's not opening scripture. Then one day he's sitting, he's quietly sitting in his house and it's another Sabbath. He says, oh, John, I just wish I could get into the, some of the folks there in the, in, the, in the county offices, some of the people in our, in our local community. I wish there was a way I could, they won't even let me in the door. I said, you want to talk to these people? No problem. So I called a couple of people. I knew somebody in the, in the county offices. I said, yeah, hi, this is Dr. Turquato. I was just wondering, would you guys like a corporate-level wellness program? Oh, yeah, we would love one, but, man, we don't have the budget for that. I said, how about for free? Free? Well, we could do free. I said, great. I'll tell you what. We'll set up a, um, a health fair for just your employees, and I'm going sta- to staff it with my, my assistant, um, Pastor Doug Venn. Well, Pastor Doug Venn? I, yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't go anywhere without my pastor, and he's the guy that does stuff with me. Well, all right. We know you, so come on. So he does this, and we do health fairs for this group of people in the county commissioner's office in Moscow, Idaho, for over a year. We've done like three of them, right? Well, so finally, one day the county commissioners come to me and said, you know what? We have really appreciated the things that you guys have done. You have really helped our, our offices to be healthier. We're stronger because of it, and we're, we're really enjoying it. But, you know, Moscow, Idaho used to be the, county, used to be the state capital of the, of the state of Idaho, and we're going to have a... An, a, a, a um, uh, we're going to have an organizational meeting with all the county commissioners in all the state and their offices. They're going to come here to Moscow, and they're going to take over the, the hotel. And we would like you guys to sit and give 
the same kind of presentations and lectures and stuff like that, and the same kind of, of, of stress um, uh, evaluation and the same kind of cardiova- cardiovascular risk evaluation that we did. Because we would sit down there, we'd do these stress evaluations, and then pastor and physician would st- sit together, and we would give the patient the results together as they came. They would get information from both the pastor and the physician from both of our perspectives. And they said, we would like you to do that. And I said, well, you, are you sure? I mean, you've got all these people from all over. We don't know those. We know you, and we, we want you. And I said, I'm going to bring my pastor, you realize. I don't go anywhere without my pastor. He said, yes, we, we are fully aware. Bring him. So I give a half-hour lecture on some kind of health-related thing, and Pastor Doug Venn gives a 30-minute lecture on the seven habits of highly successful people from the Adventist perspective, and then spends three hours doing counseling and, and, and screening with patients as an Adventist pastor to all the county commissioners and their staff from all over the state of Idaho. Do you see where friendship made the difference? Oh, that I might have some water from the wells of Bethlehem. Oh, you want that? You know what? It didn't take a lot from me. But, you know, I yearned to bless the man because I was his friend. If you want to make good mentorship, you you need to have friends. This kind of thing is not what you do to somebody. It's something where you involve them in your life. And you're involved in their lives. If you do this, you will raise them up and they will raise you as well. Strength will come to both of you and the medical ministry will drive the church forward, which is your whole purpose. That's why you're here in the first place. All right, next, um, next principle. Okay, I guess that's what I'm going to stop right now. All right, so some ministry principles we just shared with you. You see how it's affected both myself and Pastor Um, I will tell you, there is one thing that you can do, and that is when you talk to your pastors, you talk faith. It's important for the pastors that might hear this to do the same. If you want physicians to come alongside you, what you do is talk faith. I know you desire to serve the Lord. I know you have the capacity to do this. I am aware that you're capable, and I am calling you. It's a gospel call. It's not an authoritarian call. It's not a call in which you state you have to. It's a gospel call. And when you talk faith like that to pastors, pastors will respond. And when pastors talk like that to physicians, physicians will respond. And you bring them to the point where they are dedicated to the Lord through this process. I'll share one story and then I'll open this up to questions. Here's the story. I was leaving my practice at Moscow, Idaho. Pastor Wayne Cablano had asked me to come to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to start a free clinic. At the free clinic, I, as he asked me this question, he said, I'd like you to come to the free clinic. I had just been given a job offer for, for a year's guaranteed salary plus all the administrative logistical help that I could need in order to start a practice at another city. And so I said, you know, I've got this offer down there. What are you offering? I said, what kind of guaranteed wage do you have? We don't have anything. Oh, you don't have anything. Um, Do you have a place for me to practice? No. Uh, Do you have any equipment? No. Do you have any staff? No. Any referrals? No. Any contracts? No. Any anything? No. All right, so let me see if I get this straight. You want me to come up there with starting with zero. I got a family. You want me to go up there and start with zero to do work with you starting a free clinic when I have a $165,000 contract that's waiting for me plus all the logistical help that I need for an entire year to be able to work in this other city? I think you got it straight. I'll think about it. It was interesting. The Lord knew. So I said to this other city, I said, you know, um, I I, want to come down there, but I'm going to share with you my business plan. They looked at the business plan and said, you can come down here, but I need you to know that we're a public entity. And if you work like you say on your business plan, you cannot work with your church. So guess where I decided to move? Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. 
So I'm moving up to Idaho, and I'm leaving my town and comfort, and it's painful. It's difficult. There's, there's, there's relationships that are breaking because I have to go. And there was a church member that came to my office at my last day, and he came, and he had scheduled an appointment for a wellness physical. So I did a wellness physical on this guy. And I said to this guy, I said, you're in great shape. His name was Gordon. He's an elder in the church. He says, that's, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. He says, but that's not really why I came. And I says, well, it says on your thing, you came for a wellness physical. And he says, yeah, I know, but I had to have a reason to come here. And I says, so what do you want? He says, John, I've come here today to set you aside as a gospel medical missionary. I have come to anoint you with the Holy Spirit. And if you will kneel before me now as an elder of the church, I will place my hand upon your head and you will be set aside for the mission of God. I knelt before the man who put his hand on my head and set me aside for gospel work. That next year, I almost qualified for Medicaid. I worked harder, and I'm a hard worker. I worked harder than I think I've ever worked in my life, and I almost qualified for Medicaid. I started for six months in an office of 500 square feet in the back end of a physical therapist's office that did not even have access to the front desk, and I built a practice out of 500 square feet in which I was the only employee. I had no staff. No secretary, no back office, no nothing. And for six months, I did the advertising. I brought the patients back. I did the vital signs. I did the uh, medical visit. I did the EKGs, drew the blood, sent them on their way, called the results, and billed all for six months by myself. Do you know, as I was going through that time, time and time again, Gordon came back to mind. Being set aside by somebody who had faith in you made a difference. And if you talk faith to your pastors, if you talk faith to your medical brethren, they will have strength that they don't have today because of you. You will have mentored them, strengthened them, and given them what they needed to move forward. So, Pastor Finley, I'd have you, if you would mind, step forward here and take the mic. If anybody has questions about mentoring, I'd like you to go ahead and ask. Well, or any questions about medical missionary work, we are totally committed to integrating the ministry of Christ. At the General Conference, we are very anxious to put into practice the principles of the writings of Ellen White and the gospel medical missionary work. We're seeing some very remarkable things happen. You may know of our little book, Health and Wellness, um, Secrets of Health and Wellness that Dr. Landless and I edited. That book now has been translated into multiple languages. It has sold 40 million copies all over the world. Every place we go, we see it. We had it in China as well. Secrets of Health and Wellness, something you can give out in your office. Let me tell you a story, then I'll give you a chance to ask some questions. I was in Brazil, actually in Argentina, Peru, Brazil, um, in the South American division. And we brought all of our physicians together. We spent a significant period of time with our physicians, sharing that each physician has a calling, just like Jesus had the calling. In South America, if a physician is a medical missionary physician, and they work in harmony with the conferences and the churches, they are set aside as a gospel minister and ordained. And so on this particular Sabbath afternoon, we were ordaining at the medical convention a physician. When we ordained that physician, he would then baptize a nurse at the hospital that he had led to Jesus. The baptismal tank was empty, and it had no water in it. Each of the 500 physicians in the audience had a gallon of water. The physician who was going to be ordained did not know that his patient had made the decision for baptism after all of his, his studies. We laid our hands upon him and set him aside for the gospel ministry of medical missionary work. His nurse was escorted out and she said, Doctor, as the result of your influence, in the Bible studies that you have given me over the last year, you know, I've been attending church, and I've made my decision to be baptized. 
let us go to the baptismal pool. We began the special music, and row by row, the doctors got up with a gallon of water each and poured it into the baptismal pool. The pool got higher and higher and higher, and this newly ordained Adventist physician pastor led this young woman into the baptismal pool and baptized her. That's medical missionary work. You are more than ministers to the body, you're ministers to the soul. And as you pray with patience, as you look at their needs, as you minister to them, as you ask them the question, what role does faith play in your own life? Or if you ask them the question, you know, I pray with my patients, and many of them have asked me to pray with them. Do you know statistics indicate that 51% of everyone walking through your office wants you to ask them to pray with them? 90% would accept a prayer if you asked it. But as you pray with your patients, as you say to your patients, on Tuesday nights we have a Bible study here if you're interested. We deal with physical, mental, spiritual health. Or on Wednesday nights at an auditorium down the street, we have a health program. As you link your office with a medical missionary outreach it will make a dramatic difference. We can share with you all kind of practical ways to do that. And as you mentor your pastor, and as you invite your pastor to come and pray with your patients, um, as you invite your pastor to participate in a Bible class with you, as you participate with him or her in programs in the church, it's going to make a difference. I, we can stay for a little bit and ask some questions. Any questions that you might have that would be helpful? Yes. I've been absolutely fascinated by reading Fiedler's book, DiSozo. Yes. Uh, you reference it, I believe, in some of the comments. Yes. Um, Tyndale's model was sort of based on the uh, missionary help bands at Battle Creek. That seemed to be Ellen White's model that she shared with Tyndale. We don't seem to follow that method anymore. But it sounds like maybe we might be getting back around to sure. doing that. Mm -hmm. How would that work? How do you see that functioning in a church today? Sure. It's a good question. Um, the principles that we find both in the Bible and the writings of Ellen White, the principles are solid. We can apply the principles. We're going to have to adapt the methods. Uh, we have to adapt the methods to a 21st century model. The way we see that working today, there's many ways it can work and many ways it can be adaptable. You have to look at the fact that some churches have physicians in them. Other churches are very small and they don't have any health professionals at all. So you have to ask yourself the question, how can we uh, have a effective medical missionary outreach. The vision that Ellen White had was multiple people actively involved in uh, the ministry of Christ. So she saw coal porters, she saw nurses, she saw um, a variety of Bible workers, visitors, pastors working together. The way we see this working in a church is as follows. If the church has a physician that has a, and the physician has a private practice, we would see that private practice as an opportunity where the pastor could come, interface with the physician, maybe spend time there where the physician would say to, the, to his patients or to her patients, our pastor provides spiritual counseling. I know you're going through chemotherapy now, and it's very difficult for you. Would you like me to set up an appointment with our pastor to see you to provide spiritual counseling? Um, I know you're going through chemo, and it's very difficult. I know you've just gone through the trauma of a divorce, and you've told me that that has really stressed you out, and you've been having your headaches. Would you like me to provide a Christian counselor for you? So one of the things that we see is the interrelationship between the physician and the doctor, uh, the physician and the pastor. The other thing is a physician's office opened for a Bible study at night, or the physician participating in health programming in the church. Um, we, on our cooking school this past Tuesday night, just three nights ago, when we had these hundred some odd people in our church, 30 or 40, my wife gave the nutrition demonstrations and health lectures. I give a scientific health lecture as a pastor. It puts me in a different framework with these people. But in addition to that, we have a dentist that's just begun 
coming to our church. I interviewed him on sugar and oral health. So there's the interrelationship back and forth. So the way I see this working is churches training medical missionary teams of their members. Uh, you know, Ellen White, when she talked about these teams, she said the perplexing question yet is how will it be financed? How will they be supported? And so we haven't figured all that out yet, but that doesn't mean we don't do anything. We move ahead as much as we can integrating physical, mental modalities of practice. Um, that's what we're trying to do now. My wife has a health ministry team. How many people on your health ministry team, Tini? She has nine on her health ministry team. They're all church members, and they are being trained in health evangelism. And uh, one of her ladies is giving cooking schools with her. We'll have at our church as well or at our center uh, health expos and, and so forth. So we see an integration. The other thing I wanted to mention is don't wait till you have everything all figured out before you do it. Just jump in, use the skills that God has given you, and he will bless you. I'll take a question here and a question there, and I'll try to keep my answers fairly brief. Yes. So this is coming from the pastoral angle. Mm -hmm. I work in the Nevada Utah Conference, and I coordinate the Bible program there. Mm -hmm. And we specifically have a program that's trying to follow as closely as possible the quote you mentioned in uh, the Pulse Collection, 19th yeah. mm. Company Evangelism. Mm -hmm. And we have co-porters, we have Bible workers, uh, we have a business manager, we have um, music ministry people. But the, the toughest individuals we have to find to work with our medical uh -huh. people in the medical field. What do you think would be the, the best way to find individuals or to, to approach people in the medical field to work with us on a more full-time basis? Because we right. have doctors coming in every now and then, but uh -huh. to work with us more closely as a company. You know, the, there are, the principle in Scripture is this. In John chapter 6, Jesus looked at what he had, and he said to Philip, what, or to Andrew, what do we have? And, and Philip said, we have five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, that's enough. Uh, and Jesus took what he had and he prayed over it and he multiplied it. So what I would say to you is, let's suppose you're in Reno or Las Vegas. I would say, look at all of your medical personnel there that are already in private practice. What Seventh-day Adventist physicians are already in private practice? Host a dinner for them. Begin to visit them personally, visit each one, and ask them this question. Say, what ways do you see us interfacing together? Cast vision, cast vision, cast vision. So you, in, what I would do is I'd invite them. I, I, I would first visit them personally, and I would ask, do you need Bible instructors at all to follow up any interest you're generating in your office? Ask them the question. Don't ask them, what can you do for us? Ask them, what can we do for you? How can we be helpful to you in your practice? Is there anything? Because many of our physicians are godly, they're spiritual, but they're working day and night. They have to support themselves. They're making large contributions to the church. They can't follow up all these Bible studies. Develop personal relationships first. Secondly, um, then try in any way you can to cast your vision and tell them what your needs are, but first try to meet their needs. Yes. Just going to comment on that very thing. What uh, Pastor Finley said about vision is so important. If you can cast a vision, which means you have the vision, then you can cast it. And if you have that vision and you share it, there are people in every medical community that are Seventh-day Adventists you know that they're getting those, those brochures that say, come and I'll pay you $200,000 a year. They're going to have no call, no nights, no weekends for your 30 minutes from skiing and from the water and from the, the hills. Come and you can join us. And people will put their hands up and go. But in the same group, you'll say, I would like you to come and suffer for Christ. I would like you to come. And here's the vision for Christ to build his church and his people. I believe in you. Will somebody come and join me? And there will, in that same group, be one or two who will stand up and come forward. You don't want anybody else. You want those who are willing to suffer and die because those are the people that will give all they have to Jesus. In addition to that, there's a continuum that you can explain to the physicians. They don't need to give everything. They can give a little bit. And if they say, hey, look, I can, I can have you see one of my patients in your office once a month, if you will take a gift certificate and give me a gift certificate, I'll hand it to a patient. I know that you will pray with that patient when you see that gift certificate. And that's all you need to do. You're in your environment. You're in your circumstance. You, you have your own staff, your own policies, all your insurance. 
You're just working with me. And then you can start working from there into a more specific uh, ministry model. So there's a whole continuum you can use. We're going to answer two more questions quickly, and then our time is up. I had a question. Yes, one, two. I'm the only Adventist in my uh, group. I'm uh, orthopedic surgeon. There's nine of us in my office. Uh, I work in Flint. We own a church in Grand Blanc. We don't have our own church building. Uh, we want to establish a center of influence. I've seen your video on it and yours. Uh, I guess my question is, this is my passion, by the way. Wonderful. <laughs> How do we start when we seem to have almost nothing? I know we have something, but where do we start? Let me meet with you right after the meeting, because that answer is going to be a little longer, and I, I see our group uh, is about ready to go. So let me sit down with you just for a few minutes. Thank you so much for coming. Let, let me pray for you before you go. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity that we can work together with our physicians, our pastors. We long for the day that we will see the vision of Christ fulfilled, the light of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus fulfilled, in this generation where the earth will be lightened with the glory of God and his true medical missionary work will break down prejudice and thousands will come to Christ. We are thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.